Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Father, we ask that you would help us through the preaching of your word to apply our hearts to your ways, to hear these warnings of Jesus and take them to heart. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 23 begins a difficult chapter in the Gospel of Matthew because it's in chapter 23 that Jesus pronounces a series of seven woes or condemnations that are directed at the scribes and the Pharisees. So this is a tough, sustained condemnation that we have ahead of us. The interesting thing is, though, before Jesus addresses those scribes and Pharisees, before he pronounces those condemnations, here, as we see in the first 12 verses of the chapter, he speaks to us. He speaks not to the corrupt authorities, but to those who follow them. And he gives instruction to those who follow them. If you've ever found yourself having to follow hypocritical leaders, then here Jesus is speaking to you. If you've ever found yourself having to submit to authorities who did not practice what they preach, then Jesus is speaking to you. Friday night at Presbytery, I told the elders, pastors gathered there that this is the text I was going to be preaching and that it was going to be hard to preach because Jesus is talking about leaders who don't practice what they preach and the man who has to preach this to you doesn't always practice what he preaches either. So if you're racking your brain and asking yourself, when did I ever have to submit to a hypocritical authority? <laughs> well, here you are. And we all need to hear this. Jesus is speaking to us about the authorities we have, whether their, their intentions are bad or their intentions are good. When they do not practice what they preach, this is Jesus' message to us. He gives us 
You might think of some do's and don'ts of following human authority. Right? Listen to what Jesus says. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. Right? So the men he's been grappling with all through the last chapter, now he's pointing them out to the people and he's saying to them, don't follow their example. But he's not saying, those guys are hypocrites, don't follow them at all. He's not saying, those guys are hypocrites, don't listen to a word they say. What he's actually saying is more complicated than that. There's a don't, but there's also a do. He says, you should do whatever they tell you because they sit on Moses' seat. In other words, they are teaching the law. They are teaching the scriptures that were given through Moses. So there is an authority to what they teach. You should do what they say. But then he follows up and says, you should not follow their example. They may be teaching the word, but they do not obey the word themselves. So we've seen already, they don't always even understand or know the word that they proclaim. They do not practice what they preach. So listen when they proclaim the word, but do not follow their example because they're not doing what they ought to do. Essentially, Jesus is calling you to a higher standard than the one that they are exemplifying. You should practice what they preach, even though they don't. That's what Jesus is telling us, and it's something we have to take to heart because what he's telling us is actually a pretty big challenge. If there's anything that we aspire to, if there's anything that's influential in our lives and how we want to orient ourselves, it is the example of the powerful. It is the lifestyle of the rich and famous. It's how they live that motivates us to think about how we want to live as well. We want to live the way they live. It's not what they say, it's how they live that moves us. This is true with any kind of authority. This is true with any sort of power that you identify with. The identification is much stronger on the level of life than it is on the level of the message. Believe me, for every person who aspires to care for the causes that their favorite celebrity posts about on social media, there are a thousand people who could care less about the cause but aspire to live the life that that celebrity lives. It's the example that moves us. It's the example that we aspire to. And Jesus warns us against following the example of those authorities and those powers just because they are authorities, just because they're powerful, just because they're the ones in charge, the ones who have visibility, just because they're the ones who are admired by others. Jesus says that's no good reason to live the way that they live. The extent that they say what they ought to say do that, but don't live the way they live if they don't practice what they preach. 
But why not? What's the problem? What is so bad about the way that they're living? Like for a lot of us, if you think about the struggle of life, like maybe you're not perfect, maybe you're not able to do everything that you ought to do, but if you're at least able to get the message right, if you're at least able to say what we ought to do, I mean, that should be something, right? Why would that be so bad? So Jesus tells us what's wrong with these authorities, what's wrong with emulating them. He gives us a kind of master class in hypocritical leaders that also, if you think about it, gives us some insight into what we get out of following them. So he tells us about hypocritical leaders, but he also gives us something that, that if you meditate on it, will show why it is that we don't just put up with hypocritical leaders, but we choose them. We gravitate towards them. Listen to Jesus' words. He says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Sometimes leaders are hard on the people they lead, and sometimes the reason why they're hard is those leaders are actually hard on themselves as well. Sometimes if a leader cares so much about holiness, for example, is pursuing holiness so much as an individual, uh, he has the expectation that those who follow him will pursue a similar standard. And we've all known people, I think, who hold themselves to such a high standard that they are intentionally and sometimes unintentionally hard on others as well. Those leaders, whatever their problems may be, are not the ones that Jesus is addressing. These are not men who are hard on those who follow them because they themselves are so committed to following the law that they just push everyone else to be like them. It's just the opposite. As Jesus says, they make things hard on others. They place heavy burdens on others, but they themselves do nothing. They make their own burden as light as possible. It's a hard law for everyone else, but the law somehow becomes easy when it's applied to them. They preach self-discipline, but they live self-indulgence. It may not seem that way when you look at them, when you encounter them in public, when you see them at the marketplace or at the feast. But Jesus says, all of those outward manifestations of piety, those are done for your eyes. It's these hypocritical men, these leaders who do not practice what they preach, focus on the things that make them look pious in the eyes of others not upon the things that God actually requires. We've already seen that they fear man more than they fear God. Here, we see almost the inverse. They crave the approval of their fellow man, the honor of their fellow man, more than they crave the approval of God himself. That's how their hearts or oriented. And because of that, they signal their holiness. They don't do holiness. They perform holiness for others' eyes 
to see. They do the kinds of things that are seen. They exaggerate the signs of religious observance. All of their, their ceremonial garb is front and center. They, they do a good uh, job of putting on an act of being keepers of the law. But an act is all it is. Because they do these things not because God has commanded them. Not because God desires them or they please God. They do them because they impress other people and they result in praise. They result in honor. They result in advantages. The things they love are not the things of God. They love honors. They love status. They love exaltation. They love titles. Jesus puts his finger on it. But if you think about that description, it's easy, I think, to kind of turn against these leaders, think about their superficiality, not really give much thought to our part in rewarding them for their hypocrisy. Because the reality isn't just that there are religious leaders who are not sincere in their religion. The reality is there are congregations, there are masses of pious people who elevate and follow these hypocrites, who are deceived by their example. And I want to think about that. So there are two problems, I think, with the prevalence of hypocritical leadership that we have to consider. First, uh, many of us take the signs as evidence of the substance without digging deeper. We see the signs of holiness, the signs of spirituality, and we assume that the substance is there without actually asking ourselves if it is. Oh, this guy dresses the way he should. He looks like the part. Other people revere him and honor him. Therefore, he must be the real thing. That's a superficial judgment and more is expected of us. We assume that if a person says he fears God, then he must fear God. But we have to look deeper than that, both when it comes to choosing leaders and when it comes to following them. And also when it comes to living our own lives, looking for examples. The question is, why are hypocritical leaders so popular? Like, why is it that if I said, uh, on your order of worship where it says notes for the sermon, let's make a list of famous hypocritical religious leaders in the modern world. And let's just start naming names and listing people. Um, why do I get the feeling like not enough room is provided in the liturgy to do that? Why is it so easy to compose a list like that? Like, shouldn't it be the opposite? Shouldn't it be like if I say, hey, give me some examples of hypocritical Christian leaders, and you start going, well, can we cover like the whole 2,000 years? Like, can we go way back, you know, to when that used to be prevalent? Like, why is it so easy instead of so hard to come up with this list? Well, it's because we follow these people. It's because we choose these people. It's because we elevate people like this. And if we do, then there must be some benefit to it, right? People do things because those things are an advantage to them. What advantage do hypocritical leaders give to the people they follow. Well, if they don't practice what they preach, they give us example not to practice what they preach either. 
If you've ever followed a hypocritical leader and come to realize that person doesn't really live up to the standard that they espouse, the right reaction would be, I need a different leader. The common reaction is, well, I guess I don't have to worry about that stuff either. If he's not doing it, then maybe I don't have to worry about that either. It can be perversely a comfort to realize that your leaders, that your authorities are hypocrites because it takes the pressure off of you of having to follow so faithfully. I don't think it's an accident that we have a tendency to choose leaders we shouldn't. I think sometimes without realizing it, we choose exactly the leaders we desire to have. That's something we need to not just think about, but we need to repent of. That's one thing. Here's another thing. If the church is led by man-fearing hypocrites, then whatever the church preaches, its practice will never live up to its standards. So the church can say whatever it wants. The church can talk all it wants about holiness, about piety, about whatever. But if in reality its leaders are all hypocrites, what people will pay attention to is the example, not the message. And that's a real problem, too. And it's not a hypothetical one. It is very much the problem of the church in our age. Now, notice that Jesus does make a distinction between the message of these leaders and the example that they provide. And the bad example of their lives does not, in Jesus' mind, invalidate the message that they preach. Now, usually we want it all one way. If these guys are hypocrites, then don't listen to a word they say. But that's not what Jesus says. He makes a distinction. He does not say, hey, these bad hypocritical leaders have hurt you with their hypocrisy, so you need to stop going to synagogue and maybe start figuring out for yourself what you're going to believe. All too often in the 21st century, that's how we react to the reality of hypocrisy in the church. We throw everything out because the example isn't what it ought to be. What I want you to see here is that isn't what Jesus says his people ought to do in the face of hypocrisy. And yet, he doesn't give hypocrisy a pass. He doesn't say it's okay that the leaders are hypocritical. It's okay that you're following bad leaders. The solution to hypocrites in power is complicated, but it starts with this. Don't leave because of hypocrisy. Instead, change the hypocrisy. Confront the hypocrisy. Confront the leaders. Replace the authorities or maybe demand repentance from them. In the labor movement in the United States, there's a motto that comes from from one of those early, I guess, early 20th century labor leaders. When he died, he told his followers, don't mourn, organize. And in the same spirit, we might say to the church, faced with the hypocrisy of our leaders, don't despair, purify. Don't despair, purify. Purify the authority of the church. This is Jesus' answer to the problem, to purify. Now, how do you do that? Jesus tells us. He says, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you're all brothers. 
And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And that right there is Jesus' answer to the question of how to purify the church, how to reverse this problem of hypocrisy. You might call it uh, the counter call. The counter call to us is what we might call servant leadership. Servant leadership. That paradoxical kingdom ethic that we've been confronted by again and again, where those who are granted authority by God are given it not so that they can lord it over others and rule over others, but so that they can use that authority to serve others. Jesus modeled that ethic throughout his life. But of course, there's one moment in his ministry where he made it crystal clear that this is how the leaders of his church are meant to see things. And that's in John 13. That's the moment when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Now, oftentimes we remember the image of the foot washing and we don't quite remember the moral of the story, why Jesus did what he did. But Jesus made the application very clear. Once he'd washed their feet, he actually poses the question to them, and it's a funny way of saying He says, do you see what I've done to you? It's almost the, the way that you might reveal that you've just tricked someone. It's like you've gotten them to go through with something, and then once they've done it, you're like, ha-ha, see what I did? It's like that. Because by humbling himself and washing their feet, what he's done to them is he's made it impossible for any of them to lord it over the others. These disciples who throughout Jesus' ministry are jockeying for power are going to Jesus and say, hey, now, can I be first in your kingdom? Is it okay if, if me and my brother be in charge or what have you? Jesus, through this act, makes it clear that none of you are Lord. I am Lord. None of you are teacher. I am teacher. None of you is the instructor of the other. I am the instructor. You are brothers. That's what Jesus does. That's how he purifies that corrupt instinct to have men's praise rather than true piety. If Jesus humbles himself before them, they can't have airs towards one another. They can't just go through the motions to be admired by one another. If the apostles end up acknowledging the giftedness and the message of other apostles, if they come to recognize Peter as their leader, if they come to embrace Paul as one of their brothers, it is not because those men did any external performance that impressed the apostles so much. They thought he must be the real deal. It's because they were the real deal. It's because they were sincere. Now, Jesus' focus here is specifically on this idea of titling. Because when people aspire to preeminence, they aspire to titles. And so he warns us, the man who wants to be seen as a rabbi needs to realize that we have one rabbi, and that's Jesus. And before him, we're all brothers. The man who wants to have paternal influence over others needs to realize that they already have a father, and that father is God. And he's not on earth He's in heaven. He's a better father figure than you will ever be. 
those who aspire to instruct others and tell others how to live their lives don't need to worry about it because we already have an instructor, the Messiah, who has demonstrated for us the example that we ought to live. In each of those cases, in every case like it, instead of exalting yourself over others by pursuing some sort of title, you are encouraged to humble yourself before the one who is truly exalted, to humble yourself before Christ. Now, sometimes in the history of the church, the focus of this passage has been taken very literally, right? So there are uh, some people who won't use any sort of title at all because they think what Jesus is saying here is it's bad to use titles. So there are churches where everyone is brother or sister, and that's the only title that is allowed. Um, there are some people who take it even further and, and won't use any title even in, in like everyday life. You know, you might go to med school, you might have a diploma on the wall, but I'm not going to call you doctor because that's a title. We're all just brothers here, and uh, there you go. Okay, but in the New Testament, the apostles themselves do use titles. They do address other people with honorific titles. They show respect to people who have titles. So the practice of the New Testament doesn't reflect that kind of interpretation. So I think what we have to recognize here is that Jesus is speaking to the heart of the matter and using examples in order to focus us on it. The heart of the matter is the aspiration towards exaltation. It's that desire to be better than other people, to lord it over other people, to be preeminent among them. The point is the heart, not the title itself. Jesus is not just policing language here. He's calling us in our hearts to true humility. And it's interesting in light of that to recognize Jesus' example. Our passage ends with these words, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The seat of Moses is one thing, but the seat of the Messiah is another. As we saw in Psalm 110 last time, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. So all due respect to those who sit in the seat of Moses, there's a greater seat than the seat of Moses. And the one who occupies that seat has been exalted above all others. And yet, his example is an example of humility. In other words, Jesus practices what Jesus preaches. In a way that no one else ever has or ever will, Jesus practices everything that Jesus preaches. That's what makes his condemnation of authority here so paradoxical. We can't read this as if Jesus is condemning authority or asking us to rebel against authority. He's calling us to follow the higher authority of God. The scribes and Pharisees set a deadly example because they don't practice what they preach. But honestly, no leader, no matter how sincere, is untouched by that kind of hypocrisy. Except for one, and that's Jesus himself. Jesus himself is untouched by any kind of hypocrisy. Jesus himself, who had a right to every title, set every title aside, humbled himself, became our servant for our sake, so that we might be exalted, might, we might become his brothers and sisters. 
And when you read that final verse in our passage, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted, it can come off as a sort of paradoxical maxim or saying, something similar to what goes around comes around. There's something like that, some law of the universe. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted, but if you seek to exalt yourself, you will be humbled. But isn't it more than that? If you think about those words and you think about who's saying them, that line becomes for us what storytellers call foreshadowing. Because in that line, we have a hint at the end of the story. Because when we hear the words, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, we know who Jesus is talking about. We know all those who have exalted themselves that Jesus says will be humbled. And when he says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted, he himself exemplifies those words. It is Jesus who will humble himself in unimaginable ways because of that, will be exalted. The prideful authorities all around us who seek to exalt themselves will enjoy honor for a season, but in the end, they will be humbled. In contrast to that, the priest king, the Messiah, who sacrifices himself, who gives himself up for us, he may seem to suffer for a season, but in the end, he will be exalted. As we continue through this chapter, as I said at the beginning, we encounter a series of woes. Jesus pronouncing judgment, condemnation, and it can be difficult to get one after another after another. This is a chapter that you might think of as some tragic and heartbreaking territory to have to travel through. But as we do it, we remember that there's light shining on the other side. As Jesus pronounces these judgments and condemnations of bad authority, there is a true authority that stands on the other side of that, calling to us, beckoning to us. Through this series of woes, in other words, there are abundant blessings to come. I can never put myself in Jesus' place here. I can never imagine standing before the, the powers and authorities of the world and just saying, you are condemned, you are condemned. Because that would make me such a hypocrite. Because the things I could condemn them for, I'm guilty of myself. But not Jesus. No one can look at Jesus and say, hey, you're no better than us. No one can look at Jesus and say, hey, you have no rights. You have to remember who Jesus is. You have to remember that there is no one in a better position to condemn unrighteous rulers than the righteous king of creation. But you also have to remember this, that as he speaks those condemnations, there were also not just warnings, but promises inherent there. Every time Jesus points his finger and says, do not follow them, he's reminding us to follow him. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.